Money FM 89.3. Best of your money. Money and me on your money. Only on Money FM 89.3. Welcome to Money and Me. I'm Michelle Martin here on Money FM 89.3. We know there are basic investment concepts that any investor should know. Risk and return, risk diversification, compound interest, inflation. We're going to go beyond these concepts today with your help. I love it when you send me questions. Please keep doing that. You can connect on Instagram. I'm at Michelle Martin Radio. Send me your questions. And even as this show unfolds, you're, you're welcome to send me some questions if you're concerned about what you hear along the way and you want a little bit of clarification that's what we here for head of investment at provident cheng chai cern joins me live chai cern thanks for diving into listener mailbag with me how are you hi michelle uh, thanks for having me on the program well, yeah i'm good i'm good i'm good well good to hear that and thank you very much for being here so first up we hear so much about this concept that i think warren buffett popularized and that is a business's ability to maintain competitive advantage over its competitors so here's your question can you explain the concept of economic moats in investing simply and which businesses are synonymous with this uh, right. Well, a moat uh, is an obstacle right, that ex- that prevents uh, enemies from entering your territory. Right? Mm. In olden days, that's exactly what a moat is for. Uh, you know, you dig a big trench around your castle, fill it with water. And because back then we didn't have uh, airplanes, you know, it was hard for people to cross that, that uh, obstacle of water. So similarly for businesses, um, an economic mode is just something that uh, is a sustainable competitive advantage that a business has over its competitors. So um, things like uh, intangible assets, uh, which are brands, patents, licenses, uh, switching costs, network effects, uh, or even just a pure cost advantage. Uh, these are things that a company might have as an edge over its competitors. And for some reason... Uh, these um, these these edges that the company has uh, are just sustainable and uh, cannot be easily replicated. So a huge example of mm. that would be um, Apple and uh, iOS because, well, if you want to use iOS or Mac OS, there's only <laughs> one place in the world to use it uh, and, and an iPhone, right, which is made by Apple. So um, that is an investment mode so to speak, as long as um, there is a demand for using iOS, uh, as long as there's a user experience in using iOS that people and consumers enjoy, then the only place to gain access to this is Apple. That there's literally no else in the no no company else in the in the world that can give you that experience. And so, um, that is uh, an example of a, a moat, right? And so uh, that drives iPhone sales, and hence that drives um, Apple's profits. Um, other examples would can be, uh, so that's sort of like a, a user experience or even an intangible or, or R&D kind of a patented product. Another one can be something like uh, a brand or even a taste, uh, say, for example, Coca-Cola. Mm. If you want to drink Coca-Cola, mm-hmm. well, there's only one, one company in the world that has this secret formula that makes Coca-Cola, and that's 
Coca-Cola company. So uh, that is another example of a company with a certain type of moat that uh, you know competitors just have no way to replicate. And so um, I guess these are two two probably very visible examples of what uh, an invest uh, economic moat might be. Okay, I love the analogy, you know, go back to the basics of what a moat is. Uh, you know, dig a huge hole in the ground around your castle, fill it with, with water and hope the dragons don't fly over it, basically. <laughs> uh, is, is it fair to say that companies with, uh, you know, strong economic moats, tend to have loyal customers because of their uniqueness. Uh, yeah, I guess you, you can say that. Uh, I mean, that's sort of the, the nature of um, an economic mode mm. because you have a certain uh, product service that uh, nobody else can uh, replicate, nobody else can provide. So whoever wants to use it uh, definitely has to be loyal to you and uh, use it. So Amazon, Uber, Starbucks, Disney, they're just some of the the world's biggest companies that have built and defend their moats. You mentioned something called network effect moat. I wonder if you can unpack that a little for us. Uh, yeah, so network effects is something like the, the more people use a certain service, mm. um, the harder it is for people, any competing service to, to come and uh, replicate it, even though it might offer you know, exactly the same functionality. Okay. Um, an example of this would be Facebook and uh, WhatsApp. Right. Uh, WhatsApp has become so ubiquitous among um, Asia and, and uh, most parts of the world, and it's just a simple messaging service. Uh, it could be it's been replicated by many other companies, uh, um, Telegram, etc. Um, but yet, you know, there are so many users of WhatsApp just because everybody else is using WhatsApp. So uh, if you don't use WhatsApp, you you can't talk to your friends. <laughs> So, so that's sort of like a network effect, and, and that's a, also a kind of mode um, that that Facebook has, uh, because uh, if you want to talk to your friends, you sort of have to use WhatsApp. If they're all using it, you don't really have a choice. Even if you don't really like it, or you know, you find that somebody uh, another service uh, does the chat better, or the video calls are nicer, but. Um, so that's, that's a network effect. The more people using uh, a service, the harder it is for you to switch out or to use a competing service. All right, listener, I hope you explained and you know you got a good understanding of the answer to your question. Can you explain the concept of economic moats in investing? Of course, there are different kinds of moats, right? And uh, the most durable moats seem to be built on different advantages like network effects that you just heard of and then there's repeat engagement and there's data as well. And I hope we, you know, we gave you some examples of what to look out for. All right, let's move to our next question in the listener bag. Kathy Woods believes deflation is approaching and not inflation. So we know that Kathy Wood is the founder and CEO of ARK Invest. The listener wants to know what's the difference if deflation is approaching versus inflation on our horizon? Right. Uh, well, first of all, inflation is the general increase in prices mm-hmm. of goods and services. So deflation is the opposite. Its prices fall uh, for goods and services. Typically, we measure it uh, using something like a consumer price index, uh, CPI. Uh, in Singapore, we have core and, uh, and just general CPI. Um, in the US, they, they have CPI. The Fed likes to use uh, PCE. Uh, I think purchasing consumption uh, index or something like that. Um, 
So uh, that these just measure the, the rise or the fall in uh, goods and uh, services. So inflation is essentially what it means is that uh, using a simple example, your coffee at the Kopitiam costs one dollar. Uh, and then next year, um, the price of coffee beans go up, the price of the plastic cup goes up, or or uh, we have to use a more environmentally friendly cup and no longer use those styrofoam cups, and that costs more. And so next year, the um, Kopitiam uncle charges you one ten for your coffee. So that's inflation. Uh, the prices are going up. Um, the 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 opposite would really be deflation. Uh, you know, uh, prices uh, go down. So so uh, due to lack of uh, say demand for for coffee drinking, uh, and or, or we find a technology to manufacture stuff really cheaply, uh, the price either stays uh, stable at one dollar or maybe even goes down a bit to ninety five cents or something a cup. Yeah. So so that's. That's pretty much uh, inflation uh, versus deflation. Okay, so um, most people listening in would think, I love it when prices go down. You know, we have the sale mindset here in Singapore. Uh, Most people don't want to pay so much for their cup of coffee, for example. But why is deflation, you know, why is deflation bad for the economy? Right. Uh, Yeah, so it's uh, very interesting because if you had no income, you you are purely a retire absolute retiree. You you might really want deflation because you have a fixed sum of money that you have accumulated during your working years, and then you know you obviously want prices to be cheaper because you 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 don't have any more income coming in. But yeah, but that's bad for an economy because um, uh, deflation sort of defers uh, spending. Right? If you knew that your one dollar today is going to be worth more tomorrow. Or the day after, or, or one year later, you'll be like, "Hey, I why why should I spend my one dollar now?" And so I'll I'll not spend it. I'll save it. But if I save that one dollar, it's not being spent uh, in the economy. Um, so so if I don't buy that cup of coffee today, the kopitiam uh, uncle doesn't make that one dollar. He's got one dollar less. Uh, he 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 doesn't. He he's got one dollar less to spend either on on raw materials or on 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 his own consumption. And then that net that. that effect just snowballs across the economy and so if people spend less uh, shops make less shops make less they pay their workers less uh, they pay their workers less those workers have to consume less and then it just carries on and so forth so so that's sort of the economic theory behind why uh, most economists central banks are all worried about deflation because uh, they they uh, consumption and uh, spending helps uh, uh, has the effect of uh, increasing uh, consumption and spending across the economy as a whole because uh, that means your $1 you know, is transferred to many different people and they are able to spend uh, more money and, and uh, give more businesses profits and help uh, increase the pie for everyone. While deflation is the opposite. It sort of shrinks the pie and then it, if it gets into that mm-hmm. vicious cycle. Um, so if, if Kathy Woods is right, Chai Sun, who will thrive if deflation does happen? Um, I guess in terms of investment companies, uh, mm-hmm. it would have to be companies that have very, very uh, 
strong uh, demand for immediate demand for their goods and services, things that you you cannot really really do without, and you have to keep paying for constantly. Uh, so things like uh, discretionary purchases might not do so well, but you know uh, companies that sell staples that sell. Uh, uh, essential services might right. do better during a deflationary period. But overall, deflation uh, generally is just bad for, for most companies in general. If In deflation, in fact, you probably just want to own bonds because you make the most money holding bonds. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's come back to the main idea here that Kathy Wood is espousing. So, uh, for the listener, if you've just tuned in, we're going through listener mailbag and some of you send really great questions to us. Kathy Wood is founder and CEO of ARK Invest and she says the big risk ahead for the next five years is deflation, not inflation, and that it will benefit investments in innovation strategies, which is, by the way, what she invests in, right? Um, so, what do you make of uh, what Kathy Woods is predicting? Um, well, it, it it's really hard to uh, sort of know who will be right because uh, she's saying that there's deflation, but there are plenty of other uh, notable uh, yeah. investors uh, saying that there will be uh, inflation instead. So um, that that um, uh, that that's something that is not not easy to to really uh say for Way sure who, who, yeah. Who, yeah nobody really but, knows where it's going to fall but are you in the inflation camp right now uh me uh slightly more to the inflation camp okay. i think we are seeing it in um in prices uh in the data that you can see uh that uh prices are rising uh, a lot of companies have uh, said that they're going to increase prices due to raw materials in- increase mm-hmm. so in that sense uh, it seems like there is going to be some inflation coming through uh notable companies like uh PNG i think they have mentioned uh recently that they're going to raise prices uh and i think there are a few other uh it could be uh, Kimberly Clark or other major competitors of theirs that have also uh, said they're going to raise prices. And these are companies that make uh, tissue paper, um, toiletries, um, mm-hmm. staples that we all use every day. Mm-hmm. So, so it seems like there is some inflation coming through. Uh, yeah. All right. Let's move on to our next question. It's listener mailbag time. And joining me is Cheng Chai Sern. He's head of investment over at Provident, which is Singapore's first fee-only wealth advisory firm here in Singapore. All right. This one is uh, is quite interesting, actually. We hear about earnings results all the time here on this station. You can't do much in the stock market if you don't understand earnings. But what should I do as an investor? Is it a bad idea to dump or buy more on the basis of earning results? Chaisen? Uh, I think, in a way, earnings results uh, are just more of a barometer of, well, well, it, it really depends on what the investment thesis is. Okay. So if you have a view that uh, the company is going to do well over the long term, um, well, you in theory could buy more uh, if the results are good because it's uh, reinforcing. If you feel that, you know, uh, there's still further potential for the company to grow. Similarly, if the results are not good and it, uh, for some reason, something was announced that uh, invalidates your investment thesis, uh, then it might make sense to sell. Uh, but overall, you know, at Provident, we look at uh, things from a, a very long-term and uh, diversified 
kind of portfolio basis. So we, we don't typically uh, react to buy or sell uh, to investment uh, results because we are holding uh, very, very diversified portfolios with uh, over 8,000 uh, stocks in the portfolio. Mm-hmm. So can't react to every single one. But what we are looking at instead is the long-term uh, returns of the equity asset class, you know, which has been positive over time. So, so we we would just hold through, you know, most of these uh, situations because the portfolio is so diversified anyway. For every bad result, you know, there are probably a few good ones, and so, so uh, we just stay invested for the long term. Mm-hmm. Okay, all right. So we'll move on to the next question right now. People, anytime we talk about inflation outperformers, um, somebody brings out copper, and people want to know what is the best way to buy into a commodity like copper. Uh, for, I guess, individual investors, you can look at it in a few ways. One is you could buy a stock in a mining company Mm -hmm. where there's a significant part of their business is uh, mining and selling copper. Mm -hmm. Uh, So there are examples like uh, BHP and Rio Tinto are big uh, mining companies that do uh, manufacture and sell copper. Uh, There's also Freeport, McMoran, some of these companies, they all all have copper mines. Although the risk of that is uh, you're not getting a pure play on the copper price. You know, there are other factors like the cost of running a mine, etc., mm. right? operational risk. So if you don't want that, uh, there, are, there are ETFs on, uh, listed in the U.S. that have um, uh, a sort of pure copper uh, place. There's one called the United States Copper Index Fund. Mm-hmm. So that's one way you could get uh, access to copper more easily. Uh, the, one other way would be to trade copper futures, but that would involve a slightly different kind of uh, 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 investment option because you would have to open a futures account and uh, trade. Okay. Um, just a quick question on the US index fund. Are you buying into a company? What are you buying into? Uh, a portfolio of copper futures? What are you buying into? You are buying into... You're buying into uh, a fund that uh, buys copper futures. Futures, okay, got it, yeah. got it. All right. Um, uh, and what else? Are there considerations, that major considerations people should think about when they're investing in a commodity like copper particularly? Um, I think investing in any commodity, mm. you just want to be uh, very clear what you're buying into and you're, if you're buying into an ETF, uh, you, you, especially if they're using uh, futures or if it's some kind of uh, just synthetic tracking of, uh, of an index, uh, you, you just want to look through and, and be sure you understand the risk there. So say uh, any fund that is... Uh, uh, and, and typically, most funds uh, do have some kind of uh, exposure to futures for commodities. There's always a certain roll cost because they buy a few months contract futures and then they roll it. So for that, um, you you probably want to be sure you understand that you know every time there's a roll cost, uh, the fund will lose a bit of value because there's a cost to trading the futures. Well, it's been great having you with us, helping us understand inflation, deflation, competitive modes, network effects, earnings results, and how to buy into copper. Jason, terrific speaking with you. Thanks for being here. 
Thank you. Thanks, Michelle. Cheng Chai Seren is Head of Investment at Providence, Singapore's first fee-only wealth advisory here in Singapore, then independent wealth advisor and fund management firm licensed by MES. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.